Hey tryhards, Ethan here. Before we get into the show today, I want to talk to you guys about Patreon. Patreon is a donation service, a monthly subscription service where you donate money to me to support the show, to support uh, the growth of it, whether that means merchandise or more podcasts or other things of that nature. And I would really appreciate if you guys would be willing and able to give just a little bit of whatever extra money you may have. Because while the show will always be free for everyone to listen, um, the way to make it isn't. And I'm in college, and things are expensive. So I'd appreciate any little amount that you're able to give. So thank you for donating, and thank you even more for listening. Hello, my name is Ethan Hewlin. Like you, I live in a world that never stops moving. Also like you, I have stories. These are my stories, the true stories of a tryhard. Welcome back to True Stories of a Tryhard. I am Ethan Hewlin, and this week um, we've wrapped up election craziness, at least for the most part. Uh, or is it beginning? Who knows? Um, but uh, for the next couple of weeks, uh, I'll be getting several people's various perspectives on how this election impacted them and how it's probably going to impact them in the future. Um, but first, I'd like to introduce a very special guest, probably one of the most special guests I've had on, my mom, Kristen Connor. Hi, mom. Hi, Ethan. <laughs> so, um, Listeners, for those of you that don't know or haven't heard yet, um, my sisters are either black or mixed. So this this election kind of had a lot to hang in the balance, and um, I wanted my mom to come on and talk about both her experience as a woman and what was hanging balance for her, as well as uh, my sisters, my stepdad, and other parts of our family. So, mom. Uh, I know you, from the start, weren't the hugest fan of what happened in 2016. Um, what was your immediate reaction when that happened? Um, in 2016, I went to bed thinking that everything was tracking for us to have the first female president, and that's what the polls had showed. And when we woke up, uh, it was a completely different story. It was devastating. It was awful and not just uh, there are other elections that politicians maybe that I had voted for wouldn't have won didn't win and and disagreeing ideologically with a person who holds office is one thing but feeling like the person who holds the office is not the kind of person that you can point your kids to and in this case not even the a kind of person that I, as a female, uh, would feel comfortable being in a room alone with. Um, that's a utterly different feeling. And other than being concerned about specific policy issues, not just those, but then just feeling overall dread and concern for what was going to happen to our country and, and how that many people could have voted. The way. Yeah, I was a much different person when that happened than I am now. I was not as, I didn't, I just didn't know as much 
as I do now. And my, my opinions on things were limited by the knowledge that I had. Mostly because I didn't really want to put any effort into it. I didn't want to rock the boat. But to quote the musical Hamilton, Hamilton as of now, I'd rather be divisive than indecisive. And that's ultimately what that what the result of that election had me start thinking about was that politics are important and that you need to decide which side you're on and what that side stands for. Yeah. And I wish it, I think, I think many people in the country don't necessarily only think of it as which side they're on. I think that's part of the problem. This, I think the two party system is dangerous and because it, it makes it seem like things are one or the other when in reality it's a spectrum and people feel all sorts of ways about all sorts of different things. There are social issues and financial issues and and uh, diplomacy issues and science issues. <laughs> and, um, so there's, a, I don't think, I think that's been part of the problem is just thinking of it as one thing or the other. But those are the, those are the realistic kind of choices that we've had. I, that was probably a bad turn of phrase. Um, what I meant was like what you stand for as a person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think that's actually, I always try to look for silver linings, and I think that's actually one of the silver linings that came out of that last election and then the, all of the years that we've endured after that is people realized that Paul, that voting does matter. And that's one of the things that no matter how this election in 2020 turned out, I was trying to find silver linings and just thought about the fact that people seemed to understand how important it was and however they felt about whatever the issues were, the record turnout, I, I just thought at least America just didn't sit back and, and behave as if nothing was different. Right. I was really excited to see people turn out to vote. However they voted, I was excited to see them turn out to vote. Yeah. And that's really something that I think we as a country have struggled with is that not enough people want to make their voices known and democracy is not a spectator sport. Yeah. And I think there's also the pragmatic view of if you live in a deeply red state, as you and I each do, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's this feeling that I could show up, but it won't matter. But I mean, Texas came within, I think, five points of maybe even three points of, um, you know, being, you know, red or blue as we're calling it now. Right. Um, I mean, I hope that changes soon, but that's a whole different discussion. Yeah. The the demographics of the country are changing and the the demographics of Texas are definitely changing as many people come here from California. So yeah, I think that's something that will definitely happen and that the parties will have to factor in in the future. But I guess the point was, um, you know, it's easy to kind of think on a national level, maybe your vote doesn't count if, or doesn't count for much if you live in a state that is, you know, so has been historically so far in one direction. But I think that's the other thing that 2020 has taught us is that, you know, that how a state has gone in the past doesn't mean it's going to go that way in the future. Yeah. And, you know, I, I have not thought about the state of Nevada more in my life than I have this week. So (laughs) 
it um, it really was something else for sure. Um, but um, what specifically um, influenced the way you voted, the way you did, whether it was policy or demeanor or what have you? Um, definitely, I mean, all of the above. Um, policies, I mean, I think if we would have had a cohesive, coherent national response to the coronavirus epidemic, that would have changed the trajectory of, of so many individual families' lives and our country as a whole. Um, as you know, my sister, your aunt is a nurse. Um, you know, Kayla, my stepdaughter, your stepsister, studying to be a nurse. You think about people on the front lines that of a hospital system that was facing exhaustion and was near their breaking point. Um, that that would have been different. Um, I think about how the the response of the of President Trump to social unrest and how it was utterly against everything I believe. Um, I mean, th those, I mean, there were many, many more issues, both personal and political, but those are definitely two of the top. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely with that. And it was probably during um, quarantine where I was at your house for two months that I really kind of started diving into um, like, why do I feel this way about this? Or have I really thought about this in a way that is critical of what I have thought about it in the past? And so when I realized, as I have realized over the course of at least probably six years at this point, that uh, some of the stuff that I thought was just parroting rhetoric that I'd heard. Yeah, I think people that are intellectually honest go through that at different points in their lives, especially as they, um, especially as they're, you know, in the age that you are. And where was that for you? When did you start um, going through something like that? Um, definitely in high school, in late high school and, and into college. Definitely, as you, I think as you start moving away from just thinking about things only as your parents thought about them, as you have different experiences, mm -hmm. definitely where it started. There have definitely been inflection points as I've thought about different things and faced different situations. Um, you know, how I grew up was very, very religious and very conservative. And you know, I heard definitely all of the talking points related to that growing up, articulated by two you know, very smart, very passionate, very educated parents. And, and then as we had different experiences and you know, worked in the foster care system for three years and were exposed to families who had different circumstances, um, families that were uh, headed by you know, two gay parents rather than two heterosexual parents, um, Different inflection points after different experiences certainly made me examine the way I had been taught to think about things and made me really question whether I wanted to adopt that 
or kind of turn it over in my mind a little more before before claiming it. How long do you think it took you to really make up your mind? I think there's still some things I'm making up my mind on. It, for me, where we stand on things is probably always a, an evolution. I hope it is because the world is very different than it was, you know, when I was in high school and it's different than it was when I was a very young parent. And I think if, if our views stay the exact same, that's, I don't know that that's healthy. I think our, I think my values have stayed the same for the most part, I think maybe the way I act on those or the way I think about them or the perspectives I have on them, maybe what changes as situations and, and my own exposure changes. Yeah. I, I mean, I've, I've told the story on here, but I don't know if I've told you mom. Um, when I really started thinking about those things was when I was about 14, when Michael Brown was killed in Ferguson. Um, And we were watching the news in my American history class in eighth grade, where I sat next to a guy named Mason, who at the time was bisexual. I'd never really come into contact with anyone from anyone who identified that way before then, at least not as consistently and someone who was so open about it, especially at that young of an age. Mm -hmm. It's very brave. Not you probably had contact that people just may not have, (laughs) may not have been open about it, especially in the, the, of the heartland of America. Right. And especially like, I, I, I feel like I'm pretty, I was pretty quiet about my, what I thought back then. Um, but he and I didn't get along at, at first. Um, but he, he's one of the people that really helped me realize um, that the things that I thought were true and the way that I viewed the world was essentially just regurgitation. Yeah, that's an uncomfortable, can be an uncomfortable feeling. Yeah. Uh, it makes you read then it makes you think well if this if i'm rethinking this do i have to rethink everything else and i did i did rethink everything else um and something else that i've talked about in here is that's really when my journey with empathy started i started thinking about how other people feel instead of how i feel and Remember one summer you had me read the seven habits of highly effective people. <laughs> I, I do remember that. It seemed like that maybe wasn't your, it seemed like you didn't understand why I was having you read this. Time. I didn't until I read it. Um, but that was also something. to hear what you, t- what you took from that. Um, that was another thing that really helped me grow in that regard. Um, I couldn't name two of the habits off the top of my head, but, um, but that was definitely something else. And by that time, I think that was my sophomore year of high school when you made me do that over the summer. Um, 
I, I didn't get why you were doing that or um, like what the point was. Like it, it was just a book that I had seen like on your shelf and like I, Ethan, don't really like self-help books. Like I don't really, like I'd rather see a therapist than read a self-help book. So like I, that that was really my bias against self-help books factoring into it. Um, but that one in particular was, was pretty helpful. Yeah. It's a classic. Good that you read it. I'm glad you, I'm glad you, it makes sense now. It does. But unfortunately a lot of things that make sense later don't make sense in the moment. Yeah. The older you get, the more you take the long view. Yeah. I mean, like 16 year olds are impatient. Um, like I said, I know that now. I didn't know that then. No, it was your first time being 16. My only time being 16. <laughs> there are many things I thought when I was 16 that I don't want to think now. <laughs> well, hopefully that that means that we raise you to be open-minded and evolving. Well, at least you did. Um, anyway, we're we're kind of off topic at this point. Um, but this particular election had a lot on the line, especially for people that don't look sound or act like me. And I want to use my platform to help those who don't. So how, so like what, um, what, what did you, what was, top of your priority list as far as what was on what was on the line for you like what would you think you had the you had to lose um i mean i think as a person who has been a student of history i think some of the scariest things we're seeing uh, are a president of act like a dictator um, try to act above the law, uh, try to act as if laws didn't apply to the president, the presidency, um, try to just pretend that science didn't exist. Um, and that effect, so when you have the, when you have the leader of the, arguably the leader of the free world behaving in such a manner, it, it sets the entire tone for the country, uh, I mean, and that and that becomes personal to people in different ways. Um, for me, one of the most personal ways is just traveling. I mean, you mentioned our family. We are a uh, multiracial family. We have white people and black people and mixed people in our family. And traveling across the South and the Midwest with our family as we go back and forth to, to see, you know, be close to our family members. I had not thought much about traveling together as a family in the South and the Midwest. I mean, we'd always been somewhat careful and tried to be mindful of where we stopped. But once uh, it just seemed like people that um, had hatred on their minds and in their hearts. It just seemed like people like that came out of the woodwork and I became um, very fearful as we would travel, rushing your sisters kind of in and out of places and 
not and i it's a terrible feeling to wonder as you come into these small towns who might dislike seeing our family together and who might in fact hate some of the people in our family because of the color of their skin and there are certainly many people ancestors of people in our family who've gone before us who dealt with that hatred and that fear um, every day of their lives and it has definitely made me realize the privilege and, and the, just the different experience of not living with that constant fear that someone may right. hate your family because of what they look like yeah. and that became much more um, uh, front and center to me with the tenor of this book. I would definitely agree with that. And like, especially this summer, like I went to protests in the city. I saw people getting tear gas on TV. I saw the people who were supposed to uphold the law, which in of itself needs fixing those who we believe to be the air quote good guys making way for the president to hold a bible upside down in front of a church he didn't attend and that yeah that was really something and frankly who has probably either attended church on christmas and easter at most or never yeah i'm not really concerned necessarily with when or if our president attends a church, it's really kind of how their actions manifest in the day-to-day, but just the idea that he thought that his supporters, that all they would care about would, was a photo op with a Bible, mm-hmm. uh, and that that was worth tear-gassing peaceful protesters without even giving them the opportunity to clear out, nope. and that he put the people, and he put the people in our nation's military um, in a position where they were tear gassing their own citizens in conflict with many of their own values. And they were following orders, not understanding what that order meant. And, and many of them were national guard troops that were from that area and were devastated to have done that and were embarrassed to, and didn't tell their families or, or uh, friends if they, you know, if they were in the guard, like where, they were serving because they didn't want to be associated with that. And I, I think it's, it's been a long time for that people in the military would, would have had to have been publicly ashamed to say that they were part of it. Mm-hmm. But there's also, for some reason, the fascination with law enforcement and military for some people, like we just owe them respect because, because of what they do for a living. Yeah. I mean, that's a hard one. I mean, as you know, I mean, my husband is a veteran. Um, both of my grandparents were, uh, but my, both of my grandfathers. Um, we have cops and firefighters and and nurses and teachers in our family, and 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 I think for the most part, um, people get into those professions because they're honorable and they want to serve and they and they put their you know, lives on the line for other people all the time. Uh, and I was definitely raised to understand that and respect that. And, and it feels like, um, it feels wrong to feel the need to, to question that. 
but I, I mean, we definitely, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a very, it's a very hard issue and it's, it's multiple issues wrapped into one. And I think that's the thing is that Americans, I think many, not just Americans, many modern people wish things were easier than they are. We, it would be easier if things were black or white. Our cave person brain likes black and white choices. It's not, but most things in life are not that way. There's a lot of gray. And the older I get, the more I realize that the gray area is bigger than I had ever imagined. I was just going to say, this sounds like many conversations that we've had over the Yes, it does. Because um, I do like to think in black and white. I do like thinking that there is an easy solution when there isn't one. But at the same time, I know that there may not be an easy solution for everything. And it will take time in order to find one. Yep. Kind of shifting out of um, what led up to it. Um, Just this past week has felt like five years. Yes. I mean, I don't know how it's felt for y'all, but for me, it was just a cycle of go to class, go to work, check election map, go to class, go to work, check election map, see what happens. Because I did not think it would be as close as it was. Yeah, I I was hoping um, that it would be just a very quick, very overwhelming majority um, rather than this, uh, you know, long, drawn-out election week mm-hmm. versus election night. Yeah. And and yeah, I mean, it's it, what is amazing to me is that you know, four years ago, someone who voted for Donald Trump didn't know exactly what they were getting. I mean, they had a pretty everyone had a pretty good idea. Yeah. But he didn't know what how he was going to govern, but having seen that that there were that many people that still voted in that way and i know that it well let me just say it like this that there were that many people that voted that way is astonishing to me i know that there were people who held their nose and voted for him based on just being against policy that democrats have traditionally um, backed and I understand mm-hmm. that. I have to think, I have to think that the majority of people who voted for Trump this time held their nose and voted not for him, but because of something else. I, I hope that that's the case. I hope so too. But I think you and I probably both know at least two people that <laughs> um, that were still gung-ho for it right but i think and and you're talking about my parents yes and i and i and i would count them among those people that held their nose and voted for him because that because they believe that not just he but the republican party is the party that aligns the closest with their values Mm -hmm. i don't believe that but i don't either that's how they but that's how they see it. And 
and they also have had a deep positive history with the Republican Party. Um, you know, as I've explained to you, you know, your your grandpa bought a house and started a business and, and became successful during the Reagan era and, and associates Reagan very much with his success as a person and, and his the successes of his company. And so it's very hard to argue with someone's lived experience. Uh, and so I, I believe it was things like that. And that's that was the experience of many people in that generation. And so um, I, I think that's why you saw many people who would never, are, my parents would never say the things he does. They would oh, never not. behave in many of the ways that he does. And that's, I have to believe that there were millions of people like that who would never themselves do those things, but held their nose and voted for him uh, because, because of a myriad of things that had nothing to do with him as a person. And I think that conservative Christianity like believes that the Republican Party is the party of Christians, which I don't believe it is. Um, I haven't for quite some time. And when I have tried, like you said, it's hard to argue with someone's lived experience. Like when I, when I try to get my grandpa to question what he thinks, he just doesn't want to. Correct. <laughs> Correct. And, and, you know, we talked about how hard that it's worked to question what you believe and to hold it up against new information. And I also know my dad pretty well in that he will put up a fight and defend his position in, in, in a verbal, you know, conversation, but later will go back and give it thought later if the other person made good points. You know, he's, he is, um, stubborn, but he's also in, he's not intellectually dishonest. Like he will acknowledge if, if there are you know valid points on on both sides. But yeah, he's at an age where very I don't think many people are changing their minds at his age. That that could be that could be wrong, but I feel like that's that's not what that people in their sixties are known for is changing their minds on. <laughs> oh no, but yeah and like you said it's it's work and it's a lot easier to put in the work when you're younger but you know it's it's one of those things i think that when you reach a certain age you have too much to worry about to really think about certain things hmm. like like people become so busy like in your case with with kids with work um with you know, marriage stuff and um, other things like that. And they just, they clog up your brain space where you don't really have, where at times you don't have time to think critically about what's going on around you and how your beliefs can stack up against new information that comes in. I mean, I think, I think that it's definitely true that people in college are, are and high school are exploring what they think and they, you know, you'll ne like to your point, I think they'll never have more free time than many of them do in, in high school or college. Mm -hmm. um, and, so, and, and, you know, they're being exposed. You have a high, you know, in, in high school and college, you usually have a very high level of exposure to different people, different ideas, especially in college, especially if you, you know, go away to college somewhere. 
especially if you're on a, a multi-racial, multi-ethnic campus and those sorts of things. So yeah, this is a lot. So there's exposure there for sure. Um, but I think, I mean, I hope that people continue to examine their beliefs in the light of different information and different situations. And I think they do if you look at how the country is, has changed and the, the positions that people have on things like gay marriage. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I mean, there, that's been a lot of change over the course of of certainly my lifetime and definitely my parents' lifetime. So yeah, I mean, you know, I, I'll agree that high school and college students have a lot of time to think about that stuff. But I, I would also argue that they're not the only ones who have doing, you know, been thinking about their positions and, and pivoting. Right. And you know, you have to also think that they've they've also had their fair share of change in their life. If they were born when segregation was still, like, legal segregation was still around. Yeah, and, for sure. I mean, just, yeah, go ahead. And then they went through um, the civil rights movement at quite, like, not they went through, they were, they observed the civil rights movement at quite a young age. I don't know how much exposure they had in um, southeastern Missouri, but um, that, and then, you know, there's been other things throughout the years, and then eventually, Five years ago, yeah, with with gay marriage, that's a lot of change in less than a hundred years. Some people would say not enough. Well, true, but and still, and I mean, and both things can be true at the same time. But there I mean, a I lot would of change and maybe not so where it should be. I would also say both, but. Um, so were were you stre as stressed as I was about what might happen this week? Especially I don't after. Know how stressed you were, but I was I, I was pretty stressed. It was it was it it was definitely um, something I was you know paid a lot of attention to. Although I I did try for my own uh, mental health to not uh, check things but a couple of times a day to not have constantly have the tv on or the radio on and try to get out and move and take walks and meditate and journal about things i'm grateful for just kind of just supporting like good mental health practices especially in this a time that where we the, the stakes are so high and there and other than vote there wasn't anything we could do right and it was just watching those pour in that was stressful because oh, because you never knew because of the way the American electoral system is that you'd never know where things are going to end up. Yep. And I have thoughts about the electoral college, but that is an entirely different conversation. Um, so we didn't know um how this was going to end up or how long it's going to go on for but did you think it would be another iteration of bush versus gore yeah that, i mean that was definitely a definitely a thought um you know wondering if if we would have to go and wait for a supreme court 
ruling. Like I said, I, I really I really thought it would actually be more of um that it would be would would have been much faster and a much more overwhelming number of people would have not voted for Trump. I, I was surprised and disappointed that things have been as close as they were. I still don't totally understand that. Um, so you need to but do yeah, I mean, there's definitely a fear of, of having to wait until the thing was litigated for sure. No, you were, you were texting me and, last. Sorry. I was, I was just going to say, and still kind of a fear of, um, can this person lose and 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 leave the White House without it being, you know, can we have a peaceful transfer of power in this country that that we've had since the beginning? Um, that that is still definitely a thought and a concern. It is a thought and a concern for me too, and I think at this point all we can do is hope for the best, but unfortunately, at least I am preparing for the worst. How are you preparing? Like mentally preparing that it may not be peaceful. Yeah, I don't even, I mean, I'm encouraged that, um, you know, the, the president has, all he has done is just talk about lawsuits, but there really hasn't been this calling on, you know, groups to take up arms or anything. That's been a relief. I, you know, I, I remember um, in, you know, NPR talking with members of the military and members of the military emphatically stating that there was no role for the military in the U.S. elections. And so I think that the military leaders have have understood that that might be in question and that there was some effort to reassure people that they had already considered and understood that. They wanted no no role in this election, so uh, those were things that were encouraging uh, to see and hear. Uh, I was worried last night after the happy kind of spontaneous celebrations during the day that during at the in during nighttime it might become more sinister. Mm -hmm. um, but thank, thankfully, there didn't seem to be much of that. On a happier note, what I was going to talk about is last night you were texting me about, uh, I, I was at work at the time, but you were texting me about you watching um, the acceptance speech by uh, President Biden and Vice President Harris. And I could not, I could not help but feel sheer unbridled joy that my sisters can look on the TV and see that someone that looks like them has, has the honor of holding that authority. Yes. Yes. I think many, many parents and siblings and family members are thinking that same thing. I mean, um, you know, whenever the vice presidents are all lined up, we have, finally have a face that is not male and not white mm -hmm. and I mean it should you know Americans of all 
colors and genders should be able to find themselves represented in our government. And uh, yeah, it was just amazing, just amazing to watch. And you told me something, you told me something last night that, <laughs> that I thought um, that I, that gave me quite a chuckle about my youngest sister and what she did. Hmm. You're going to have to refresh my memory. The toast. Oh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I don't think, actually, I don't even think I told you the first part, which is I, we were kind of sitting around in the morning doing a late breakfast and talking about um, um, one of the girls' birthdays, and as you know, Andrea's birthday was yesterday, and we were talking about that, and then one of my sisters texted that um, that the news outlets were calling the race, and I told Andrea, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, they've called it. Biden just, they've called it for Biden. And she went into the next room where the, your other two younger sisters were and told them, and I could just hear this cheer go up from the other room. And I don't think, you know, children in our house are I'm always aware of, you know, the you know, presidential races, but I don't think quite as aware of, as, as they've been this year. And then, yes, we went to the store and got some champagne and sparkling cider and and just spontaneously, your seven-year-old sister went around clinking glasses and saying to Joe Biden, to Joe Biden, it's just, I mean, we've tried to be um, appropriate with the amount of news coverage that they've seen this year, which has been even more challenging than normal. We want to be realistic with them without it, without it feeling overwhelming to them. It certainly felt overwhelming to us, but I think enough of that has filtered through that they, they truly understand that this was important, even if they can't articulate exactly all the ways. I hope one day they'll be able to see how important it really was. I hope so too. Because they were a primary driving force behind why I voted for Biden. I think you should tell them that. That would be very special for them. Well, them, Cedron, my stepdad, his parents, um, and his side of the family, as as well as even people within our, our family that are um, LGBT, like um, like one of my sisters, like one of my cousins, um, they were also on my mind. Um, and it's, and even my aunt who just adopted a new, my aunt and uncle who just adopted a new black child, they were on my mind too, as well as my friends. There were people everywhere throughout my life who influenced the way I voted this year. And this is my first yep. presidential election. Wow. Yeah, it's just amazing. Like, what an election to be voting in. I mean, for everyone, but for the first time. I mean, um, whenever they were, it's so funny, yesterday when they were showing all the vote tallies in the popular vote, and they were saying, so many, so and so votes for Biden. I was like, one of those is mine, and one of those is Ethan's. And it felt so incredible.
incredible to know that, you know, that the, the one thing that we could do this year, for sure, we did. We did. And um, um, just going to plug my Twitter real quick. Uh, follow me on Twitter at ET Phone Home. Um, I said something either yesterday or the day before. It came to me basically out of nowhere. And I thought it was pretty poetic. Um, I said, today, American democracy put its foot down and said, no more lies, no more division, no more corruption, and no more incompetence. And while there was still plenty of work to be done, today is a day for celebration. And I think that encapsulates yeah. how a lot of people felt. Yeah, I didn't realize until I saw some of the news today that there were celebrations all across Europe and that the bells were ringing in Paris and fireworks are going off in London like it like haven't happened since the end of World War II. And it just makes you realize like, no, we, we weren't crazy to think the way we did. We all really did go through everything we thought and it was as terrible as we thought. And the rest of the world knew it too. Mm -hmm. And I mean, just to see those spontaneous eruptions of joy. And I, I rem and actually last night when we were watching the fireworks at the end of Biden's um, and Harris's speeches, I turned to your stepdad and I was like, doesn't it feel like it's been so long since we've had something to be happy about? Oh, I agree. Like this year has just been all seemingly all bad news and i think people i think that was part of it too like people felt the need to just release so many emotions and that something good happened this year yeah um so i was one of the people that's really kept me sane throughout this whole thing and i think she would say i did the same thing for her it's my girlfriend sienna and she she and i had been, you know, texting each other back and forth about, oh, you know, Biden won New York, you know, Trump won Oklahoma, et cetera. And we were both working on election night, so we didn't see much of what was happening until after we got off. But um, we were really keeping each other sane and we were really hoping that eventually this would all work out for the best. And um, I told her something. Um, I said, the 2020 redemption arc, just, it just happened. Because in, in fiction, there are, um, there are certain story beats where a character that was once bad realizes what they've done and corrects it. And that's called a redemption arc. And I think that's what just happened. Yeah, it definitely felt um, redemptive for sure. I wish that um, I wish it could have been um, more more people see it that way. Uh, but I, I think that it it brings up what I kind of something I'd been talking about and 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 hearing commentators talk about, which is no matter who won that we needed that it would be helpful to understand why people feel the way they do about about what's going on in the country and to be able to listen to really listen to each other 
instead of yeah. talking at each other. Yeah. I, this is something that I've gotten quite fond of saying, and it's we need to spend less time talking at each other and more time talking with each other, which I think is what you just said. But mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I know, and it's hard because there aren't a lot of places and ways to do that anymore. Um, I mean, social media certainly could be that. I don't see it being used that way much. No, it's minuscule at best, at least from what I've seen. And we don't, uh, yeah, we don't, it's hard to think of what would be common ground that, you know, it used to be maybe, you know, uh, churches, um, you know, or maybe bowling leagues or, you know, places where all sorts of people rub shoulders with people who, uh, you know, didn't necessarily have a lot in common with them and they would be exposed to that maybe you know town hall meetings in in really you know small really small communities i don't know Um, but i think we have to find a way i don't think we go backwards there's obviously no way to go backwards but i think to go forward and to go forward together we're going to have to find a way to do do more of that talking with each other Mm mm-hmm and I think you would agree that the um, it may come down to motivation as far as what people want from those who lead them. But I think it also comes down to communicating exactly what they want. And it's the communication, both in the way that they do it and what they want to be done that really gets people been out of shape yeah yeah those communication skills i mean i think anytime it i think it's always been true and it's and it's definitely very clearly true now that the ability to disagree without being disagreeable um, the ability to entertain a view and understand that just entertaining it doesn't mean that you adopt it it just means that you can hear it out and hear kind of the other person's heart and maybe, you know, what their fear or what's driving or their hope, like what is driving that, that what is motivating that on their side. Um, I think we could all benefit from, from more of that. And to kind of round this out, the main reason I wanted you here, mom, was to talk about the impact of women on this election thus far. And a very specific woman comes to mind and her name is Stacey Abrams. Um, She helped over 800,000 new voters in Georgia get registered, which pretty, I, I have confidence that that definitely helped with what happened this time around. Yeah, and, and I think I'll um, bring it further around, not just to that, not just to the election, but to something you and I have talked about personally a lot, which is, you know, as you know, you know, Stacey Abrams didn't get her plan A, right? No, she didn't. She was, she was, you know, planning on on winning the race that that she was in, mm-hmm. and when that didn't happen, 
she didn't let that stop her and instead created a plan B or maybe it was I mean who knows how many how many thoughts she had about what her next move was maybe it was plan D or F or T mm-hmm. but whatever it was she didn't let not getting her plan A stop her she made what came after that even more inclusive even more redemptive mm-hmm. than that one victory that she thought she wanted so badly and that you and I have talked about often in your life as we are both firstborn and both fairly driven that, you know, there'll be, there'll be times where, you know, we make our plans and we think that our plan A is, is just the only way that can be right and good. Right. The farther we go in life, we understand that our plan A may not in fact be the, be the best and that plan B or C or D or you know, whatever can be even better if we let it. It's definitely been the case for me, um, at least in a lot of regards. But I think in her case, she may have done something quite unprecedented. And I hope she gets the accolade she deserves. Oh, she did a lot of things. I mean, she did. She's done a number of things oh, that have been I know. She is- I know just a very impressive person and I, think, I agree I mean that brings up one thing that we haven't really touched on but that has been talked about a fair amount in this election is the impact of black women yes and absolutely the importance of the role of black women and that candidates need to not take them for granted and and understand the, their importance and their and that they have played a background role in our families and Mm -hmm. in our communities and in our country for that has been indispensable, but it has been too much in the background for far too long. And that's one thing that I personally am looking to do um, with my career and my involvement in our community is amplify the voices of black women with any um, privilege or position that I have to be able to um, to lift up and amplify the voices of Black women, um, so that 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 we can that they can be heard, uh, because the because the, our communities and families and churches and schools and and public systems have have benefited so much from that demographic for so long, and and we need to recognize that. Yes, we do which is why I'd like to give a very special shout out to Dr. Tracy Connor, my aunt, who was on this show a, a few months ago. Um, and Tracy, just thank you. That's really all I have to say is thank you. Because honestly, I don't know what other words I can say. So mom, we are getting pretty close to wrapping this up. Do you have any encouraging words for for people who um, yeah, just do you have any any encouraging words? I think that kind of just echoing back to what we were talking about just a minute ago that, you know, this 
country and us as people, there will always be times when things don't turn out the way we hoped they would initially, the way we thought they should. And that it's what we do with what comes after that that makes all of the difference. So our first dream, our first plan didn't turn out. Okay, we, we grieve that, we recognize that. And it's what we do next, not just once in our lives, but over and over and over that sets, like you mentioned, the redemptive arc, that sets the redemptive arc in our own life. It's been so true for me. And that's one of the things that I hope that I've instilled in you and I think it's I talk to people I mentor all the time about that and it's I think it's one of the most encouraging things we can ever say to anyone is just because your first plan your first dream didn't turn out it doesn't mean that it can't be even better wonderful thank you mom for um, for coming on Uh, is there anything that you would like to shout out anything of yours anything of somebody else's that you think people should watch or listen to Um, i think kind of what we talked about that we probably all need to do more listening to each other and i think it'll be interesting as a country for us to think about how we do that and for us to individually think about how we do the work of doing that it's always easier to stay in our own echo chambers um i'm really proud of you for for doing that for for listening to and talking with people who stretch you and and stretch you know what you think i'm proud of the work that you've done to and continue to do to think about things in different ways and to you know examine your heart and your beliefs and i'm just proud of you in general love you kiddo i love you too mom Thank you, listeners, for tuning in this week to True Stories of a Tryhard. You can find me on Instagram at ethan.t.hewlin. You can find me on Twitter at etphonehome. Those are zeros and the e's are threes. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at truestoriespod. The best way to get the word out about podcasts is via word of mouth and social media. So please, please, please share this with your friends. Share it on your social media. And if you post it in some way and tag me you will get featured on the official podcast accounts and please feel free to leave a rating and review on apple podcasts i would very much appreciate it i'll be back with more stories next week so until then this is ethan hewlin and kristen Gonner signing off